Welcome to Skika Uncover. This is a podcast where we're going to be speaking to African artists and learning from their stories. Our aim here is to uncover the truths and the lies behind building a livelihood and impacting the lives of others through their art. Now, the person that I am speaking to today is Chantelle Caria. And very interesting background. I kind of managed to have phone conversations with everybody that we've had on this podcast. Me and Chantelle tried, we tried. We were on the WhatsApps, on the text everywhere, but it just didn't happen. So for everybody listening, this is going to be the first conversation actually that we have. But she is a film and impact producer. I actually got that from her bio and I thought it was so cool because I was just going to call her producer. And welcome to set, Chantelle. Thank you. Susan. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah? How are you? I'm good. I've been on your social media so much, I feel like I know you. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes social media, it's what they want you to see. So now we're going to find out about the other, the other unfiltered. stuff. Unfiltered. Yeah. Unfiltered. Now, you are based in London. People will probably be able to tell the more they hear you speak because they'll be like, your accent. It's not like the others <laughs> we've had on here. Um, but I wanted to know your origin story with being in London because Chantal Caria is Kenyan. Her parents are Kenyan but she lives in the UK. So how did that come to be? So that came to be, I love this story because I always say that um, I would make a film about my mom's journey. Oh. Moving to Kenya, moving yeah. to the UK yeah. and like moving from Kenya because um, I think it's just filled with so much drama, <laughs> so many highs, so many lows. There's just so much involved in that story in that story. I, won't, I won't get into now. But um, yeah, so she moved in 1986, oh, wow. I believe. Uh -huh. Yeah, when she was 18. Um, I'm exposing her age. People are doing the math. Yeah, <laughs> to the UK. And um, yeah, so and she had me and my siblings there um, and was sort of figuring out her life as a young teenager, yeah. um, trying to find her way really. And she had us when she was 24. Okay. So yeah, I'm a twin. I always feel like I should say that whenever I meet people because <laughs> when people find out further along the line, they somehow feel like offended that I'm like, oh my gosh, you didn't tell me you were a Why twin. Why didn't you tell me? Yeah, Why exactly. Why is there so much ownership? She's an individual, even if she's a twin. Exactly, exactly. I have siblings that are twins, a boy and a girl. Mm -hmm. I'm younger than me and I totally get it because we still... Even as a family, we'll be like, all oh, the twins are coming. All the twins are going to this party. All the twins have this football practice. And one day they were just like, but actually, it's Amanda and Albert. Like, mm. we're actually separate people. This, the twins thing needs to stop. Cut it. Guys, <laughs> especially when you're getting into that age of like being teenagers. We were quite close, like um, growing up in like primary school and secondary school. But I think as we got into sixth form, college right into university we sort of had our yeah diverging paths and yeah friend groups as well we had the same friend groups okay even in secondary school but um we went to different unis different six forms ah, so, okay yeah. so you got to form your own identity yes. each which is really cool yeah are you guys yeah. identical we are <gasps> okay <laughs> yeah. yeah that's the one people are always yeah. like oh my god there's another person who looks like you roaming this earth You've heard it, right? Because yes. <laughs> of your siblings. Yes. Oh my gosh. And they almost feel like taken aback or shocked. It's like, oh. So back to your mom. Mm. She is 24 years old. Mm. She's been in this country for a couple of years now, but mm. she's pretty young. Yeah. And then she has twin girls. 
she's hustling. She's just trying to make her way in the city, Southeast London. And um, at that time, there was quite a big community of uh, Kenyans coming into oh, the nice. UK. Ah, nice, the UK, okay. Yeah, so, so she had family and, or she had, she had friends and she had the community, which was her family. Then when she had myself and my sister, mm-hmm. um, my uncle, her youngest brother came and was like there as well and like nice. looked after us and... Um, the yeah, African way, free babysitting from those you babysat this is when it. you were younger. It's like, it's now like, you pay your dues. Come do your time, fam. <laughs> Please, come through. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. Um, so, that's kind of how I found myself in the UK. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shout out to your mom as well, because yeah. that must have been difficult. Yo, she was the first out of her three. There's three of them. Okay. So they all, at some point, moved to the UK okay um and some of them are now here or some migrate in between right. but she was the first so like and as the middle child sort of being the forerunner sort of figuring out okay yeah. this is how you get gigs this is like where you go for work this is you know coming initially for um college at the time or uni and sort of just you know everyone had changa together to yes, put money, make it so, possible yeah and feeling like you have to make this thing work right because so, this is off of the backs of so many people um but feeling alone and feeling isolated yeah. and all of that so the journey has so many twists and turns um but you know i it's it's an interesting one like being and I, i'm sure we'll get into this but that that sort of like dual identity when yes. it comes to having that sort of like cultural upbringing that is very sort of like British, but f- knowing that that's not necessarily where you're from. from yeah, and yeah you're always being, and, you're constantly hearing about this other country that you're from, especially when you're young and probably didn't travel back much. Mm-hmm. But there's this other land, which is where you come from with all mm-hmm. these people that are just like you and mm-hmm. speak all these languages. Mm-hmm. That's home. Mm-hmm. But you know, home is where you know, which is where you've grown up in yeah, the UK. Exactly. That's so interesting. Exactly. Yeah. That's trippy. Okay. So I want to hear about your journey as an artist. Of course, now you work in film mm-hmm. and you you're doing she's guys she's doing a lot of cool stuff in film and we're gonna get into it <laughs> but um I wanted to know did you love like what what do you remember from younger enjoying on the screen and at mm. what point did you feel like maybe I want to do this but what would you what did you used to enjoy on screen first when you were younger so I remember the first film that I watched in cinema it was the Spice Girls movie oh <laughs> Um, it was a Spice Girls movie. This is so great because of the boots you're wearing. Yeah, it's a full oh, moment. Yes. It's full circle, <laughs> guys. That's such a good, <laughs> that's such a good spot. Yeah. Um, so it was a Spice Girls movie. I went with um, my, I think at the time. So growing up in school, I had sort of initially when we first started primary school. I don't know why. I was like spotted as oh someone who's good at maths. That very quickly dissipated oh. because. <laughs> short-lived um but then moved on to like okay um she's really talented in English so we had um like um uh she was like I don't know what the term is but there was a, a specific teacher who would like 
be with you and like do extracurricular activities because they identify you as someone uh-huh, who's like that's so interesting. talented in a certain area. Like a teacher, mentor, sort of kind of counsellor yes, role. Yes, That's yes, so interesting. Yes. So I remember going with her to watch Spice Girls and for us, you know, even just on screen, of course it's like the usual things that you're watching. Yeah. SpongeBob or whatever else it is. Like yeah. you're sitting there with your siblings watching the TV for hours. Um, but that was my first um like experience of being in a cinema and at that time I can't say that (laughs) Spice Girls particularly stood out to me or like made a mark and like this is where I want to be in cinema um but I was always very much interested in English and creativity and creative writing so that was probably my experience of like of the creative world that was was meaningful and impactful right to me. Uh, yeah and they did a great job with that movie shout out to you guys spice yeah. girls and they started that. a lot they <laughs> were you, trendsetters for a lot they were they were and I, I know everyone was very hyped when they did their reunion tour and oh all yeah, of that. So, yeah yeah even now when i see them doing interviews mel b and victoria beckham because they're mm. still quite like vocal and in the limelight Anytime they do like a Spice Girls throwback or they ask a Spice Girl like question, I get closer to the screen. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wanna, I wanna hear this. Yeah. I wanna know more. Um, so you're in school, mm-hmm. you are loving English, and you're starting to express yourself creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, what was sixth form like? Because now you've also split with your twin, so you're not in the same school anymore. You're not in the same environment, and you're like, I am not Chantel. I'm not Chantel the twin. I'm an individual. Sixth form was an opportunity for me to... So I had studied media studies, um, politics, and English literature and language. This is going to be mind-blowing for Kenyans because Mm. that's not an option in A-levels. Media studies? Uh, Even politics. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's history, geography, wakienda sana. um, What did it used to be called? Something like developmental studies or like Mm. international... Economics, mm-hmm. of course, is there. Um, and English language, English literature. Yeah, but there's not an option to do media studies at A-levels. Maybe now. I'm older than you <laughs> if you're listening. Perhaps maybe now. But that's mind-blowing to me that you could do media studies in yeah. sixth form. Yeah. Wow. Also, was, why did you pick that combo? Because, and maybe like backtracking to primary school, um, I always had this sort of inkling within myself of wanting to make an impact Mm. and we're talking about I guess being someone who is from this sort of dual world of being Kenyan and being British but the first thing I remember you know when people ask you what do you want to be when when you grow up or when you're older first thing I remember is that I wanted to be (laughs) I love it so much now, but I wanted to be a politician. I wanted to be a politician in it. Kenya. I don't know why. I was just like, I want to make an impact. I want to. I'm going back very home quickly. Yeah, to change things, guys. Very sort of. Oh, can I say delusions of grandeur? Maybe it was idealist. An idealist. Yes, yes, not delusional. Yes, <laughs> an idealist. Um, because I didn't really know much about politics. I didn't really yeah. know much about Kenya, but I think. There's always been the through line for me is like trying to seek out ident- what my identity is or where my identity is rooted. So it makes sense that I think it's quite telling that I was like, yeah, I want to go and be a politician in Kenya, even though I 
because I saw that <laughs> as part of my identity. So uh, maybe more so than than being British at the time. Yeah. But um, yeah, so realized, okay, maybe politics isn't the thing. Right. So I changed that and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to go into journalism. So going into journalism was what led me to do media studies right in English language and literature and then government and politics was probably the merge of yeah, like the yeah, two went together. even when you're looking at the table and you have to pick the subjects and you're like okay this one is the one in the other slot so I'm just gonna pick it exactly <laughs> exactly yeah so so that's kind of what sort of led me to go down the path of media studies and interesting so when you're finishing sixth form mm-hmm. now and you're graduating did you go to uni and study journalism or did you make the switch before I made the switch, I made the switch on gap year. So Ah. studying media studies was like, was the turning key for me Mm -hmm. into the world of film. Okay. Because we do film analysis, film Mm. theory. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is amazing. Understanding how the world of film works and looking at the theory of how um, we see we people come up with these stories or they tell these stories and Mm -hmm. they're so telling of the world that we're living in and sort of analyzing that and I just was like this is this is amazing then we had a module where we had to sort of create a film okay yeah so that was like my first time like building the camera and I was like okay this is nice I like this so cool Um, yeah but I think on gap year that's when I sort of took some time to decide I felt that I wanted time to just figure things out nice though I had my deferred place to do um oh, English language great. and literature yeah, yeah yeah so that was kind of like I am going to uni yes I just yes you've been accepted time. and you have a place yeah I just want this time to really figure out myself figure out if this is really what I want mm. um maybe work a little bit and yeah and just go from there and so it was in that time that I had the conviction to make the switch of, I think film is, is where I should Is be. what you want to study. Yeah. So for all the Kenyans listening who are like, what, what is this gap year? What is sixth form? What is deferring? You're like, what's going on? So sixth form is A-levels, but I think we said this on another episode, but you might be listening to this one for the first time. And then a gap year is taking a year between graduating high school and going into university. But if you have a deferred place, it means Chantal had been accepted into her uni. You've been guaranteed a place. You have the letter letter that tells you you're accepted. And then you tell the university, I don't want to come in 2023. I want to come in 2024. And they accept. And you also have that documentation. So you know you have a guaranteed place the next year. So also your parents know you're not running away from education. It's just been postponed by a year. Which is brilliant. And I think we should really install it here in our country. But people are starting to do it I think what's hard is getting the deferred place in the uni so you're not guaranteed so I think that's start the, the hustle of applying exactly okay yeah yeah you have you, you have to be r- like willing to risk but ideally you you kind of would know how your grades were and you'd you'd be getting a better idea of what you want to study so it shouldn't be hard but I think it'd be so much better to have that guaranteed place it's calm it's calm for the student it's mm-hmm. calm for the parents yeah because they have that security um so what kind of work did you do on your gap year what was your gap year like oh child you know like <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna get a job and i'm gonna travel the world that was the <laughs> thing that i wanted to do as well that didn't happen but um it was more of a time of i think solace and reflection okay. i did 
I think I did like odd jobs here and there. I was working, my uncle has like a healthcare company. So I was working ah. with him. I was, I did a course. I can't remember what the course was on now, gosh, <laughs> but it's a long time ago. So I did like this three months course. Um, and I was also, when I figured out that I wanted to do film, I was also trying to like immerse myself in that world as well. Okay. I was also doing a lot of community work. Oh, that's yeah, because yeah, you've always was, wanted to have impact. That yes, would make sense. Yes, because that started pretty. So during this, by the time I said that we started off in South London, yeah, we had moved to Kent, and then um, in uh, an area called Medway, and then moved further into Kent in an area called Margate, which okay. is coastal town, very ah. far away, very middle of nowhere. Village, um, but coastal. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. So, and in that community, there were a group of Kenyans. So going back to the finding identity. Ah. So there was this group of Kenyans who would meet, they would um, sort of, it was a organization called Jambo Africa. They would go out, they would do like African drumming. They would also come together. They had like this storefront where they would, come together on like weekdays and just talk about topics to do with identity, culture, That's so especially cool. during that period of time. So maybe like 14 to 18. Yeah. You're, I think that especially having that sort of dual identity that starts to become more of a prominent issue yeah. when you're finding yourself, figuring out your next steps. And then also on top of that, okay, where do I fit in this culture? You know, I have this this Kenyan identity or there were also like Nigerians and Ghanaians there yeah I have this um, African identity but I also have this British culture and so how do we sort of find ourselves in the midst of all of that as well as like trying to figure out our life paths um, and how do we make sense of that all so I became sort of like a youth coordinator in that nice Um, and so we'd meet up do like pizza parties, have discussions, play games. Um, yeah, and it was it was a really fulfilling time for me. Yeah, because yeah, you got to help people who are just like you through something you had also just been yes, through. Yeah. I'm so curious, especially when you were a youth coordinator, um, the experiences of the younger young people and even for yourself, because there is that energy in the UK right now, which is mm. it's very dangerous. So did you guys have those encounters of go back to your country, da 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 when somebody figures out that you're, you'll speak like them mm-hmm. because you've grown up in the UK, but maybe when you're introducing yourself or when you say a certain word or when you say that your parents are, or when you say, I'm from Kenya, yes, I live in Kenya, but I'm from Kenya. Was there that or was it more welcoming and with curiosity? What was your experience? Um... So the so the primary school that I went to was very multicultural. Okay. So I never really had an issue with with that. Ah, uh, good. Um, but when I moved into Kent, I guess that was probably my first experience. And even because we had gone to secondary school for the first two years before we moved into Kent, very multicultural school. It was fine. Um, moved to Kent, and probably that was my first experience. I remember going to this all girls school, mm-hmm. and it was just me. I was like the only black girl in that school and or not wow. in that school sorry in my um year group okay and um of course my sister was there as well and then we had like faced some obstacles because I was supposed to be in a certain like set like a higher set and they had moved me down and 
there was there was a lot going on, and, and I'm sure it wasn't through you doing a test or anything. No, they just decided. They just decided because they had like the information from the previous school that we had gone to. So I think cool. after two months, I told my mom like, even though it was a well, um, it was a it was a school that had status. Right. It was just like I don't want to be here. Yeah. So I just, I don't feel like I belong, and I think. I'm being dimmed down and yes. I also don't see black people other than my sister and maybe there are three others or four others in the whole school. So I was just like, no, um, yeah. please, like, can we change schools? So <laughs> she obliged. She was like, yeah, it's okay. You can change schools. So we changed and the school that we went to was was very multicultural. I was saying to my, I was saying to a friend actually yesterday that we used to have this group of like Pakistani um, Nigerian, Ghanaian, and then me and my sister, Kenyan, Jamaican, like what? eight of us, eight girls, and we called ourselves immaculately ethnic. <laughs> Dude, that's but you were. We you were. really were. We were. Because that's how much like we were like longing for that. I guess that sense of, okay, identity in being uh, different, having yeah. like being immigrants or like having that dual identity. Um, yeah, so it's always trying to find those places within the the mass or the majority yeah. where there was that sense of belonging. People who are just like you, all humans, we're always just looking for that. Even when you yeah. enter a room with new people, you gravitate to one that's dressed like you yeah. or kind of looks like you or is the same gender as you. Like, that's where you're going to go. Yeah. It's, it's just natural. That's the connection that we want. Yeah. Okay. I'm happy. Shout out to you, mom, for saying yes to them changing school because that sounded not nice. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so you move schools, you've started creating a community and then you make your way um, through your gap year, through these odd jobs and reflection, and you decide that you want to study film. So where did you go to study film? So I went to the University of the Arts London. Oh, nice. So the particular campus that I went to is called London College of Communications, mm-hmm. which was the campus that um, focused on film and communications. Uh, yeah, so that's that's where I went. And I had to, during my gap year, obviously, do an interview because I had my deferred place to do journalism. Right. So I had to let go of that and then um, risk it and do this interview. And I remember going into that interview, thinking about it now in hindsight. And I remember them asking, like, why why film? Like, why now? Mm-hmm. What's your experience? And I was just so green to the whole world of film. Um, I, I literally just felt like it was <laughs> the grace of God that carried me through that interview because <laughs> I was just like, yeah. Da, 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 da. And knowing in hindsight also the I guess the union what it stands for yeah thinking okay why is it that I was able to to get in um what carried me through and I think perhaps my like conviction in wanting to do the course yeah but also yeah just <laughs> I, I have a theory I feel like mm. when we're younger it's easier for us to have like narrow focus. You don't have all this other stuff going on. So when you decide, I want to study film, these guys had accepted me for journalism. It's even a different campus. Anyway, I'm going to study film. So you walk into that room knowing this do or die. There isn't really, even your brain isn't thinking about other options. So every question they ask you, you, you're like hanging You're going to give them the answer that they're looking for. I know what you want to (laughs) hear. I got this. So I think that's probably what it was um, that you got in. And you, girl, you were meant to do it. Okay. This is it. This is it. This is it. It was, it was destined. So yeah. 
So while in uni, while studying film, um, I just want to mention, because this is going to come up later, if you type Chantelle Carrier on Google, you will see her IMDb credits. She is a real producer, not like some of us aspirational ones. (laughs) (laughs) But um, studying in London, it's such a vibrant city. It's such a moving city. When you are outside you don't really, there's no student energy per se because everybody's walking to do their own thing and there's families and there's workers and whatever, everyone to do their own thing. So do you think being in London and being in that environment, considering you came from Kent, helped you with your craft and helped you with filmmaking or did it make it more difficult? Such a good question. I think because, so the uni that I went to was an off-campus uni. So exactly what you were saying, I very much felt like I was there, going to uni felt like, it was a tool, like a means to an end, mm. um, as opposed to an experience. So, um, you know, hearing people talk about their uni experience or what it meant to them, for me, it was very much like, I'm here, I'm learning. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm the going, dream is after. Yeah. The dream <laughs> is after. Let's just, let's just do this. Um, the world of film, I think at that time, uh, maybe like 2013, 2013, 2016, yeah 2013 to 2016 Mm -hmm. was very much and to some senses still is very it felt like a world that was for privilege the privileged few in my opinion from my perspective makes sense in the sense that the like understanding the understanding the industry in itself right is a whole nother paradigm then on Mm. top of that if you don't have connections to that industry yeah if maybe your uncle hasn't worked in the industry yeah, or your, you your, know, parents, your parents know someone yeah. who's a producer or and remembering I'm coming from like an immigrant family you know yeah. we're here we're hustling we're making it happen film like what is that like you were holding your own hand yeah through the process basically <laughs> so if it, it was a whole it's been a whole journey of just like learning and understanding so I don't think that I really knew the hub that London was for film. Mm. I don't think I knew the places to go. And I don't think that at that time those places were accessible. Whereas now it's a whole different story. The, right. the organizations and institutions have their doors open for yeah. many different reasons. Right. Um, at that time, it, it was very much like everything was in silos. Yeah. I think um, there was a time I was... In my past life, I, I should have gone to film school like you. <laughs> but there was a time I was researching all these actors that I really liked. And there's, there was a period of time when we were in uni, 2012, 2015, 2016, where there was um, even TV shows. So there was an American version of a TV show and there's a British version of the TV show. Um, the US office, the British office. There was, there was a, and a lot of them were like, um, Kind of like friends where it's a composition of people. Yeah. There's one I'm trying to remember. Ah, oh, it's how escaping me. Not how I met your mother. Um, one of these stranger ones. It was a UK one? Yes, I preferred the UK one, but there was an American one. Mm. It goes, it's going, it's gone, but it'll come to me. It's fine. Um, we'll do the credits <laughs> later. <laughs> but there was that. And I remember researching some of those actors that I really liked and admired. And I was like, oh, this person comes from a family that's in film. Oh, this person's dad is some executive at Warner Bros or Paramount. Oh, this person's uncle is an award-winning 
you know, playwright. So of course it was a lot easier for you. Theater kids were theater kids. Like when you researched them, you found out that their parents were background singers for this person. And so I was just like, how will us guys enter? Like we, do, we know it. no one. Yeah. Um, so I'm so curious, graduation day yeah. to, 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 like, did you have a plan? Did you sit down and you were like, okay, this industry is over here. I have the expertise. I've learned it now. I've mm-hmm. done school. I've graduated. How did you make your way? Was it, did you create a community with the people that you were in, in university? Because sometimes your own year group is what lifts you up. Or did you go out there and network? How did you mm. figure that out? I feel like that the networking has only come like in the last four years. Okay. So at that time, and it's so interesting, even with like university peers, it's now that we're reconnecting. It's now that people are approaching me and being like, oh, you know, I've had this project. I'd be interested in you producing it. Oh. I'm like, wow, where were you like? However, it took us a while, guys. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but uh, no, so at the time, again, I, I felt so far removed from my peers, I'll be honest. Like, okay. I felt far removed from them. People were flying to Iceland to do their graduate film projects. Like, wow. People, people were doing the most uh, and they were entering into film festivals like they are they understood and of course right. so my course was film practice so it was really about the, the actual technical skill of filmmaking okay. as opposed to um film maybe like the business of film right and as a producer it in hindsight and as I've learned like it's so important for me to understand the industry and, and the business the side. business of film so I actually had to go and like seek out like seek out education around the business of film post uni ah. so I I um, did another course with uh an organization called Rain Dance they have a film festival um but they also have like educational courses okay. and that was sort of my first like foray into really understanding this is what it looks like to be a producer to create a slate to have a production company this is how you package Mm -hmm. um your films all of of, all of that kind of thing um so after coming up from uni I was I was I still felt very green I and I was still on this journey of okay what is Kenya saying so Ah, yeah so you were like I can study and go do this there I was like, yeah, I want to find out about what's going on. So I did my dissertation on Nollywood cinema because of the fact that I wanted to do it on Kenyan cinema, but I was like, oh, there's no material on enough. Kenyan cinema. Yeah. There's nothing at And the also time. the access. If you weren't here, yeah. there, you probably didn't have any access to any of the films that were out already. Exactly, exactly. So I ended up doing it on um, Nollywood. And uh, so I still very much like, again, this whole search of like identity, belonging, mm-hmm. um, trying to figure that out um and at the time I had actually met Kezi through a friend of mine Sam through a friend of mine through my cousin and we were talking about some ideas that we had around performing arts film and um she was actually coming back to Kenya from uh the UK yeah and I was like I think I want to go back to Kenya I want to go to Kenya and I want to I had gone a few times before then um but I said uh, like I want to go back and she was telling me about this amazing initiative that she was had in her heart to do which was what we're here sitting Skika talking Africa. about now <laughs> I was like I'd love to come along and, and and be a part of that journey and also understand the film industry while I'm there yeah so, yeah Straight after uni, the plan was 
go back to Kenya or go to Kenya. Nice. Yeah, so now okay. I'm I'm pretty sure you you're gonna be a bit shocked that we're mm-hmm. gonna talk about this. Um, you were a YouTuber for a particular period of time. I was YouTube. I was watching your YouTube. And I was like, why did she stop? Oh. <laughs> so like four or five years yeah. ago. Um, and what you did on YouTube was it was actually kind of what people were starting to do. So like the vlogs, if you're traveling, you would show us where you were at. But you did a lot of like talking to the camera about where you were in your life, mentally, mm-hmm. while doing your makeup, while just mm-hmm. chilling in the car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you're super interesting, by the way. Please come back. Oh. Um, and I wanted to know why you stopped doing YouTube. But before you say that, what was your inspiration to start YouTube? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think when I posted my first video. Uh, Five years ago, 20... No. Yeah, 2018? Maybe 2018. Probably 2018, 2017, somewhere there. Oh, because I think I, I started because um, I'm very big on documenting. Okay. Yeah. And I'm also a verbal processor. Like, <laughs> I love to... I am that person. Yeah. I cannot journal to save my life. It will not help me. <laughs> Let me just talk it out, out. even if I'm at the top of a mountain, (laughs) the sense will come. Honestly. So I think, and also as well, it was a form of creative outlet. Right. Um, I was also very much like, had this staunch view of, I want to be in Kenya. I want to be in the film industry. You have like four videos that are just about Kenya or visiting Kenya. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, I want to document that journey. Um, And so that's why I started. Uh, And it was a, beautiful journey the reason why I stopped is just sustainability to be honest okay I found that anyone who's ever tried to do um YouTubing or anything like you'll know like it is a very time consuming like process editing and I was very much I was very specific about how I wanted my videos to to look right to come across. there comes the filmmaker yes so it makes sense. <laughs> yes and so I was just like I realized I was spending a lot of time on it um which was good but I also had other commitments as well Mm. I have like since kind of come back maybe done a bit on like TikTok trying to make it more sustainable okay um uh sort out like a video editor so that okay yeah I can be able to um diversify in terms of like my time yeah Uh, also technology is much better now so even on tiktok the editing they have available just on the app is so helpful exactly you can can edit so much and put it out faster on your phone on transit yeah it's so much easier yeah back in the day it was you on your laptop with the editing software that you've borrowed or downloaded painfully then you edit for hours and you film for hours mind you did your makeup or didn't or whatever and then let me tell you guys the big one because I tried to do YouTube for a bit. <laughs> tell me why you're uploading the video onto YouTube. That's a whole process. Edit of what? And then also you have to sit there. You people of these days leave your laptops plugged in. You know the Wi-Fi won't cut and you leave it. Me, I don't know why back in the day, internet was emotional. Wi-Fi was emotional. You forget your laptop will die and it will just stop the upload. So if you don't sit there for that entire process and it could take if you have an hour long video it could take two to three hours to upload it if you have a 30 minute video it could take up to an hour to upload it it was wild it's awesome you guys have it so good now those videos are just going honestly honestly so it was all of that i i do i do wish in some ways that i i did continue Mm -hmm. um but i also took time for myself as well i'm very big on like introspection so um 
I think that's also another reason why I sort of like took a step back before I took time off of social media just in general as well. Oh, I, that's yeah. so good. I, I had a question, a question here for social media and me. So we'll just jump right in. Yeah. Um, taking breaks from social media. I struggle with doing that. I'm not even going to lie. I'll take my phone. I'll delete the apps. Because that's what Always everybody tells you. That's what they do. You delete the apps. Two days later, if I last 48 hours, I'm like, uh, 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 I'll, I'll start by re-uploading one, log in, do something, log out. <laughs> but by the fifth day, I'm weak. I'm back. <laughs> like, guys, I'm here. Social media break done. So what's your relationship with social media? Because we're the generation who internet kind of started off with us. One second it was there, like not there. And now we're all using it. Yeah, and social Eber, media came up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, with us in our time. And I think we're also the first generation of, hey, sometimes you need to take a break from this thing and seeing the toxicity that comes with social media. Mm. When did you ever take your first break from social? And what would you say is your relationship with it now? I took my first break in... So after I came back from Kenya maybe like 2018 mm-hmm. um from like posting and and stuff like that for about like about four years not that I was off social media for four years but no posting yeah um and it was just a time of self-exploration mm-hmm. and therapy and going on walks and nice. yeah figuring out this film industry so right. I took a lot of time to learn about the industry that's when I did the film production course um, that's when I, I had come back to Kenya again in 2019 and we did some documenting with some friends. Um, so it was just taking time to find my center and ground myself in the work that it means something to me and that yeah. is, is truly like my North Star. Yeah. Cause social media just has pressure. Everything is very well curated and none of us are being paid for it. Well, some, some are being paid for it. But it also is a massive distraction. Um, distraction. You can like lose a lot of time that you can really spend doing something else. So it was really interesting for you to actively make that decision that early on as well. I don't feel like people were talking about social media breaks back, mm. back then. Um, what's your relationship with social media now? It's still probably similar to yours. Like yeah. I do, um, I, I go on journeys where I'm like off and then I'm on again. And um, like, for example, this um, period whilst I've been here, I thought that it was going to be documenting everything and <laughs> sharing it. But I realized, actually, no, this is... And maybe it's sad to go with me because I was like, this is time for me. This is time for, for me to truly ground myself in the experience that I'm having because you know what you're talking about the distraction yeah sometimes we can be in a moment and instead of experiencing that moment we're thinking about capturing it and yeah. the best ways to capture the right it. angle yeah and whether the light is right exactly right exactly so I said you know what I'm gonna let go of that that goal maybe I'll do it I think I'm I like to do things in retrospect yes so let me experience it. Let me learn the lessons. Let me um, be grounded in that moment. And then I can come back and share yeah. what my findings were or, or what my experience was. Um, yeah. So that's, I think that's, the, that's kind of the middle ground that I found. Yeah. Now. No, I think that's great because I think then you have a really authentic lens when you come back to document it. Because you're like, this is how I actually felt I when I was that. here going through this. Yeah. Um, and instead of just filming off the get-go, 
now I know how I want to film and what I want to film having been there. Yeah. And, and, and figuring out what, what are the parts that really stood out to me about the process, about the experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, you work at a very, very, very cool, interesting company, um, Prism of Black. And I think it's very awesome what you guys are doing. You've done all this identity work and community mm -hmm. work and figuring out what it means to you to be black mm -hmm. and to be British mm -hmm. and, I, and to be African as well. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what's your definition of that Chantel today? What does it mean to you to be black, to be African and to be British all at the same time? Yeah. So after the experience in 2016, coming to Kenya, yeah. I think I very much realized, I was like, I, I really would have renounced the idea of being British. I was like, no, it's, I'm Kenyan. Yeah. Da, da, da. Coming to Kenya was like, um, <laughs> sorry. Maybe, <laughs> so I am, maybe I am British. Maybe. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I am. Because culturally, yeah. the experiences that I've had, you know, earlier on, you guys were talking about boarding school. I, I always mention this and like say, I wish I had that boarding school experience. Experience. The, yeah, the experiences that I had are not like um, culturally and in, in, in my youth were grounded by a black British like lens. Yes. So I was like, okay, I am, I'm, I'm British by culture. I'm Kenyan by heritage. And then I have this choice on my hands to choose to, engage in being culturally Kenyan yes and for me that first connection was through film um to immerse myself into what does it what does the Kenya experience look like mm -hmm. how wh how is the Kenya what does the Kenya that we're um that is being born like what does it look like now yeah um and then also what does a Kenya that includes a diaspora look like as well right um and is there a place to hold both identities like collectively? Yeah. Or do they exist as like mutually exclusive? Right. So it's, it's still a question that I'm grounding myself in. And, and I think being okay with knowing that you're you're, you're neither completely one yes. nor the other. Yeah, you're both. Yeah, you're both and that's okay. Yeah. You might find that you fit in in some places right. in the UK where other places you don't or you yeah. feel that you don't. Yeah. And the same here. And there's a beauty in that as much as it's a conflicting truth. Mm. There's also a beauty in that. It's the truth. It's yeah. your story. Yeah. 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 So just being okay with that um, and my biggest thing as well, like being here is like listening, learning, yeah. hearing people's experiences, just as a storyteller, just hearing the stories has been like the most powerful thing to me of like what a Kenyan experience is like. It's like, yeah. uh, and you've been back and forth to the country a lot since mm -hmm. you were younger. I want to know, cause us Kenyans, we can be very interesting. <laughs> Um, we can, some, I've heard people describe Kenyans as kind, sweet, yeah. welcoming. I have also heard Kenyans described as mean. Yeah. So I want to know, coming back home, did Kenyans make you feel other than, did we make you feel really different or did you feel like, oh, this is a home and I'm being welcomed and hugged and being yeah. shown the ways? Um, I think a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I said, when I first came back in 2016 
uh, I realized how British I was, but it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I feel like I'm always also feeling this desire or this need to assimilate, like right. to fit into a culture. But yeah. then at the same time, it's like, um, not doing that to the detriment of like myself because you take away then for the for the experience that you actually have like yes. my actual experience is that yes I because you're trying so hard to be someone else yes yeah exactly so yeah. This, it's a hard it's a, I feel like it's a hard like truth to hold in both hands yeah so in answer to your question yes I realized how how like British I was coming here okay and maybe that was because of not necessarily a like mean-spirited othering okay. or and again, it's been finding those communities of belonging. So I might feel that, okay, I do have this difference. Mm-hmm. But when we're in the Kenyan, when we're in the film industry, we're all talking the same language. We're talking yeah. about storytelling, which is, can be a universal language. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's finding those communities where there are common threads and using that as like an engage, a point of engage, of engagement and like connection as yeah. well. Yeah. So now I want to know, do you have favorite Kenyan films or favorite Kenyan stories? Because now you've been Ooh. back and forth and everything. Yeah. I'd want to know if you have some things that you're like, oh, that's that's my jam. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Maybe even music, because I yeah. think music reaches people first. Yeah. Before films. <laughs> Probably film for me, because obviously that was what I was like seeking out. Yeah. Um, I love we were talking about it in the previous episode. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I got to be here with the previous yes. episode recording. So, of course, I loved Nairobi Half-Life. Oh, yeah. Supermodel. Um, I was obsessed with Country Queen. and So good. I was... Actually, I just... I felt a little bit let down because, for me, when I see something that I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is... This so is good. triumphant. This is amazing. Right. There wasn't a lot of coverage. No, there wasn't. And I was really I upset about that. I completely agree with you. Because I felt that you. it should have its place on... Not even only the global stage, but even like the diaspora for whoever, like even the local, like um, Kenyan community, like Kenyan audience. Yeah. There, if I, I'm very much like, if I love something, I'm going to go and search everything about it. Yes. The director, I want to hear the interviews. I want to hear, tell me about everything. what it was like making this film, like, you know, or this series. Um, but I, I didn't find a lot. So that was like quite upsetting. I completely <laughs> yeah, agree with like, you. I think uh, I saw, we always do like... The, just like every other country the newspaper always has like a breakdown of new stuff that's come out Mm -hmm. rates it you know does a little review and I remember seeing that when it came out and I was like yay Um, and they did like their press like when the first episodes were dropping and everything but after that it was just silence and I was watching it I mentioned it on my radio show that I used to do so much that there's a day a producer actually was like Susan you have to talk about something else now (laughs) And I was like, well, no one else is talking about Country Queen. Somebody's got to scream about yeah. this. But I think they've done such an incredible job. Incredible, incredible yeah. job. Yeah, and incredible it's 100% job. a Kenyan story. But like the filmmaking, the crispness of it, yeah, the, the writing, acting. everything is top yeah. notch. Like yeah. so good. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So I love that. Um, what else has there been? Veva was like the oh, first Oh yeah. Yes, that went on. Yeah, 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 yeah very that true. That was amazing. Um, yeah, so there's obviously I I was saying this last 3 3 years or so there's yeah. been like such a like emergence of yeah, yeah, true. of of really great quality 
filmmaking. Yeah. So Chantal, you work at a very, very, what I think is a very cool and interesting company, Prism of Black, and you are a producer there. Um, and you guys' aim, if I'm not wrong, please correct me if I'm wrong, is you want to explore black men's stories through mm-hmm. film. Um, and you have screenings for various films. I think you do one or two events or screenings a year. And so there was um, one, I literally just watched, I guess what would be the trailer of it. Um, and you produced it and it was Whenever You Are Ready is the title of the film. And I was like, how do you produce traumatic you know, dark content about black men's lives, but you still found the black boy joy Mm. in the story. How did you go about doing that? So Prism of Black um, came about maybe, so on this journey of, just backtracking just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. On this journey of um, film production, um, you mentioned me being an impact producer. And that came about by me, figuring out the business of film. This is how you produce. This is how you package. Um, and then I had this heart for community that I've had since maybe like I was, I don't know, 11. Yeah. Um, and so on that journey, I was figuring out, you know, that four-year gap that I told you that I took of the social media. I was just figuring out, okay, what does my career look like? Mm-hmm. I think the thing with the creative industry is that, and I always say this, it's not like um, a typical industry or a typical career path for example, if you're a doctor, True. you know what the steps are to become a doctor. Yeah. You know, you know that you're going to do your seven years. Yeah. Um, you know that you're going to do your training. You, it's a, to some people it might be a pro and to some people it might be a challenge. Yeah. That you define what your career looks like. Right. And so for me during that four years, it was figuring out what are the things that I love? What are the things that I'm passionate about? Yeah. Um, how does this industry work? And what do I want to, what's the mark that I want to leave like, right. on, on this, this world? Yeah. <laughs> however small, however big. And it sounds very like, I don't know, very um, like woo. But, yeah. like, but you've but, been like that since you were a kid. You yeah. always used to think about the impact you were going to have. Yeah. So it only makes sense. Yeah. And so um, during the pandemic, mm-hmm. I came across, so I don't know if it was the same for you guys, but I felt that there was so much content out there. Everyone was doing workshops. Everyone was doing seminars. There were True. there was so much content to learn and to absorb. So for me, that time was such a great time for learning about the industry. I was um, there was this organization called Caviar Connects, and they would have industry professionals come on these zooms and nice. do different. Um, talks about different things and I remember one day there was a lady who came on to talk about impact production mm-hmm. that was the first time I heard of the term I was like wow this is interesting it was very American focused it started off in docu- the documentary world okay. and it's really just about how we take the films that we're making mm-hmm. as documentarians as filmmakers and we um, create uh, them as tools for impact how can the, the impacts for this film stretch further reach deeper into the communities um or the themes that are trying to be advocated for yeah so an impact producer will come on board sometimes in pre-production but usually um once the film is maybe in post Mm -hmm. to do research on who are the community groups of interest 
for these the themes of these films where are they how can we think about screenings how can we think about campaign work how can we use this film to impact policy yeah um how can we uh gather communities together to to bring them around this common interest yeah to push forward the the messaging or the themes of, of this of this film so I was just like this is this is I felt like I had landed on gold dust right because it felt like this emergence or this this emergence rather of like the world's of film and the world of impact there was a place Coming and there was together. a term that you could call yourself right. as somebody who cared about seeing um the world and the effects that we're that we can have through film um lived out but also really was passionate about that happening through the medium of film so yeah so then i i did a course on impact production and i met um Chima, um, Chima Obim Nathan, who is the director of Whenever You're Ready okay. in 2021 through a mutual friend, my mentor actually, who I'd known since like 20, 2013. And I remember oh, saying wow. to him, I was like, why didn't you ever introduce me to him before? <laughs> <laughs> everything at like, the you, right time. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you knew that I'm into film. Um, but yeah, everything at the right time because he had taken a five-year hiatus. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so from film and like he was in a whole different world. He was doing cons- business consultancy and, and whatnot. And so he was like, yeah, I have this short film. They had just short, shot a short film called You're Annoying with the producer and that went on to be selected for um, BBC Festival of Funny. Nice. So that got picked up and that gave them the traction to say, okay, we want to do a second film. Yeah. And that's when we got introduced. So it was really good timing. So they were just thinking in the development stage of like working through the script. And uh, we got introduced and I was like, okay, this is, so I, <laughs> I said to him like, this is where I'm trying to go for my career. I was like, can you fill this in please? I want to find out like, what 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 are the things that drive you? Like, where are you trying to go with your career? How can we think about the ways that there is synergy between where you want to go and where I want to go and how can we work together to mutually have a benefit out of this um out of this partnership I love that I feel like all professional collaboration meetings should start like that yeah. can we think for, are we connected yeah. do we want the same thing because sometimes you find out way later and it's a struggle <laughs> yeah that someone's trying to I don't know do like big time Hollywood movies while the other one is like staunchly independent and yeah. so your paths are immediately going to be different, different. Yeah. yeah so it was really important for me to define that and actually I think that that was from somebody said there was um, a film called The Last Tree it's on Netflix it's a really great film mm-hmm. and I went to go like do some research on the director and he did this talk and he was saying that something that helped him grow in the industry was finding his tribe finding the people that he could work together and grow together with yeah and I think that you see that all throughout the industry um, in terms of that connection with either producer director if we're talking about film or in other like um, mediums as well so that was in my mind as well it was like if I'm going to work with you I don't want to just do this one short film and then we go on and go our separate ways because I often feel like with producers it's people want you for okay do the budget one hit wonder yeah do the logistics (laughs) let me help me make my film and that's usually like what it's about and it feels like this very transactional um, approach but for me I'm very much like I want to relate with you. I want to feel that we have a common goal. Yeah. And so, yeah, we we had that discussion. So I knew what his goals were. I knew that I was trying to get into this impact production space and I wanted to carve out a niche for myself in that, in the UK and like in um, 
in general. Yeah. So um, I was like, okay. And so we we produced whenever you're ready. I co-produced it with an amazing producer called um, Joey Philip Dali. And that was actually the second film that we did. So we had done, a, a, this was their second film, but it was my first film on the production. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, his production company is called The Crossing Chicken Films. Ah, that's yeah. a hilarious name. <laughs> I love the little like um, animation that we have at the end. It's like very cute. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we did a first film, which was A Promise Made, which was about um, two brothers who are trying to, one is trying to convince the other of the merits and perils of seeking revenge. And it's an intimate conversation um, set in a car. And uh, so we did that and then we did Whenever You're Ready. And actually we had this conversation, you spoke about trauma, we had this conversation about um, trauma. So the first producer, we were very much like, and you also had this conversation with Mugambi, Mugambi. about black bodies and how we are seen. Yeah. So we understood that this was a really sensitive topic that we were right. dealing with. So Whenever You're Ready is about um, a young man who is recounting his experience of sexual assault to a um, just about to graduate psychologist mm -hmm. and um, who is unknowingly linked to um, this event. The, the crime, yeah. yeah. So it one of the things that was really important for me as a co-producer on this film was the well-being of the cast and the crew with the subject matter that we were dealing with yeah so I'm actually so thankful I have to say it's probably nothing but god that I had this moment so you're in your producer brain you're like okay logistics casting locations wardrobe whatnot transport money yes, yeah, yeah. yes you're doing all of that and something just came to me and it's like what about the people and I was like yeah we haven't even thought about how are we caring for people and for me as an impact producer I'm so grateful that there was that foresight to say okay you need to think about bringing in like we had a trauma-informed facilitator on the set wow so that if anybody felt at any point in time that they needed that like um they just it was getting too much for them they just needed that space they needed to talk about it we had a pre-session with her where we spoke about you know the subject matter how right. people how the um, cast was preparing for the roles um because I think um my friend shared this quote with me that I really re resonated which is that sometimes good intentions still do harm yeah so I wanted to ensure that in our good intentions to highlight topics that are never usually seen mm. around the black community that we're not re-traumatizing people yeah that we're not causing harm um even in the most well-meaning way um, yeah, yeah in the most well-meaning way so that was my I guess um way to be able to take care of the people that were part of this process so that's cool man yeah. congratulations for that that's amazing because i know there's so many films that are done with you know sensitive topics and they don't have anybody like that on set yeah. to help out yeah 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 it, it's even that conversation about how we are seen i think it's a conversation that the director is having as well because we in, when we initially sat down and saw okay these three films that you make i asked him i was like is there any themes are there any parallels like do you see any like um, is there a through line, a thread through the stories that you're telling? Right. I noticed it. I could see like you're centering these black male um, characters yeah. and yeah. figures and putting them in different um, 
positions and um, circumstances and situations where we get to see how they react and how they engage with the experiences. And so from that is what birthed. Um, so I told him, yeah, I'd like to do this like thing. Let's like, let's do an imp- exhibition you know let's turn this into what what impact can we have from this experience so he was like yeah yeah yeah." we shot the films they were being they were in post Mm -hmm. and then in January actually of this year like as I was doing my new year's goals and whatnot I sat down and I was like okay now is the time to actually put pen to paper like what does this actually look like Mm -hmm. so it was my turn to like pitch to him and be like okay this is what I envision. This is what I see. So prism of a black male came about through that conversation, that relationship that we were having about how the male identity um, can be seen through many different lenses. And a lot of the times there is this stereotype, especially, you know, I'm sure it's here as well, but with black um, British male identity. Yeah. There's a lot of like tropes. We, we hear the statistics about stop and search. Yeah. Um, you know, how black men are statistically much larger percentage of the individuals who are being stopped and searched. And so, um, how are the films that we're making and the lens through which you see these individuals and the space in which film gives you to explore their emotions, their reactions, that space is not a space of judgment, but it's a space of just experiencing and understanding. That space brings like these different perspectives that allows you to see the black male identity through different prisms. So hence like prism of a black male. So so prism of black was your idea? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm just realizing. Yes. Yes. Oh yes, my yes. God. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Um, my favorite thing about the two films that you've just talked about, which is Whenever You're Ready and A Promise Made, is I've never seen a film or series or even a short story about a black man in therapy. And even the title, Whenever You're Ready, it's already mm. giving black people grace. It's mm. like, yes, we should talk about our trauma and everything, but whenever you're ready, I was just mm. like, this is so cool. And even like um, on the description of the film for A Promise Made, you guys gave the statistic of when you actually look at crimes, the real numbers when it comes to black men is most of the time they're actually victims. Mm. So whether it's black on black crime or it's white on black, brown on black, whatever, most of the time black men are victims of crimes, not the other side. So to see a story or a trailer, I haven't watched the movie, um, to see a trailer of a brother talking to the other brother, telling him, you don't need to do this. You don't have to expose yourself to the to the chance of going to jail. The story for black people is always they're already in jail or they're committing the crime and we watch them go through the yeah. trial, you know, or so it was, I don't, it's like something so small, but I was like, I've never, thank you so much for saying that this. actually, because that is the very thing that we wanted to capture. And that's the thing that even Chema, the director would say, if you asked him about the film. So right. like the fact that you got that, the fact that it's like that, those moments, those moments of indecision and those moments in between where you're sort of, you're conflicted, you're fighting against yourself. Yeah. Like, and even just the whole idea of like, 
making space and giving space for for those experiences to be seen and to be understood, um, not to sort of profile us as, as victims or to profile us as, as criminals or what, yeah. however however that lens, but just to ex- to be in that experience to understand those pressures or even just to to experience that to see that, um, yeah, is like what we wanted to capture through that film. Yes. And if you've got that just for the trailer, then I think... No, that's for real. Amazing. I'm really excited. I was <laughs> yeah. like, so Chantal Carrier is going to tell us where we can watch these films because yeah. they're not yet out yet. But even for um, You're So Annoying, it's a comedy, guys. It's great. Yeah. Um, essentially, the story, please correct me if I'm wrong, is um, his girlfriend says, I love you. Yeah. And he doesn't say it back. Yeah. And now just that entire conversation, not only does he not say it back in the trailer, he runs. Like he physically <laughs> yeah. removes himself from the situation when he doesn't respond and now it's awkward. And I just thought, oh my God, like there was this really awesome um, Kenyan ad campaign that really went viral where they asked Kenyan men to call their Kenyan dads and say, I love you on the phone. Mm-hmm. So you just start the conversation. Hi dad, what's up? Nah, nah. Oh, what's up? Eh, nah, 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 nah. Yada yada, whatever the talk, and then he'd either end the phone call or just mid conversation say, "Dad, I love you." And um, so the fun. reactions were <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Some dads were like, "Ah, oh, what did you say? I didn't catch that." Anyway, uh, let me know how you're doing. Wow. Fine. <laughs> Other dads were like, "What's wrong? What's happening? Are you okay?" Because you must be saying this because, because something, something is about, about to, happen to happen. Or something has happened. Exactly. Yeah. So some dads went into like full panic. Yeah. And then other dads were just like, "Now what is this?" <laughs> What's going on? Like, why must you say? See, we know. You know that I feel that way about you. And and I know that you feel that way about what why are we saying it out loud? And it was hilarious. Yeah. And so when I saw the trailer, I remembered that ad and I was just like, this is such a thing for black women and men. Yeah, yeah. Um, to say I love you. And why yeah. is it such a big deal? Yeah. And we'll say it to celebrities, we'll scream it to somebody on yeah. stage or an influencer that we see, but to say it to the person you actually love yeah. in an intimate situation, it's so hard. Anyway. Yeah, I love that because because it explores teenage love, yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's the, the synopsis is how does like a young boy tell his girlfriend that he loves her yeah. or, without feeling moist? Exactly. So it's about like, <laughs> I want to keep this idea of masculinity. Yes. But I want to also like engage and, and commit and like connect with this person that right. I, I, I believe that I love. And how do I go about doing that? I'm excited to explore that more. So we, we have an exhibition coming up or sorry, it's not an exhibition. It's a screening and Q and A, um, where we're sort of now delving in deeper, um, talking about manhood through the generations. So nice. we have those two films. We have Whenever You're Ready mm-hmm. and A Promise Made, but we're also going to be guest programming two more films um, by other directors. And one of the films is about um, a Nigerian-British couple that come to the UK and they are having a conversation at the dinner table with the wife's colleague who the wife is very much trying to appease this um, appease right. this man because he wants to give he wants the man to give her a job his husband her husband, husband a, a job. job so um it's an interesting conversation about again like the art of communication how black men like express themselves right. pride humility but also race as well um and what that looks like in this in the 70s and then um we're going to be looking at 
also with You're Annoying, we're going to be looking at um, how people just express, again, love and like how we tap into like vulnerability, identity and having mm. a Q&A um, and sort of like facilitators, the director around and talking about that topic and engaging the community to sort of like peel back the layers on that. Oh, yeah. amazing, amazing. Yeah. So on the podcast, we've been asking artists to yeah. ask other artists questions so yeah. you don't know who it's going to be it's going to be in a whole other episode okay. um, and I have a question for you that was asked by somebody as Chantal came Ali we talked for long so I think she heard it but I'm <laughs> going to ask her anyway um, so he wanted to know from whichever artist it was going to be through the pandemic the way we got to showcase our art changed a lot just by virtue of how COVID worked and he wanted to know where is your well of inspiration from, especially after the period of COVID? I believe he called it Oasis. Um, after the COVID period. And how are you doing? Um, I think that how am I doing? Perhaps I'm only just feeling the effects of COVID now. I oh. think now that everything is sort of like opening back up as a as an individual in terms of what the effects of what it had being in isolation, being yeah. in small spaces, and then also going out into like larger settings. Now. Yeah. And that's sort of been something that I've noticed of myself. Like, wow, I find this difficult to A bit of like social anxiety. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, I think I need to practice yeah. and remember what it was like again. Yes, yes, exactly. So um, I'm sort of working through that. And then also in terms of, my well of inspiration. As I mentioned, that time during COVID actually became such an important time for me. Yeah. Um, it's the time that I found a connection between this passion that I had and the work that I want to do. Yeah. So for me, it was a well of inspiration because I feel like people were so lovingly pouring out um, their, whatever they had, whether that yeah. was the, the information or the experience that they had and wanting to share that and pass it on. And I'm so grateful for that because it was in that time that then I found myself or like yeah, the path new, in which, yeah, yeah, the path in which I felt was most aligned with my identity and the impact that I want to have. Okay. Yeah. Um, what would you want to ask? So the answer to how you're doing is good. Yeah. You, you're um, like, I'm, yeah. I'm catching up, guys, too. Yeah, I'm well. <laughs> to any of the madness that people experience. But I think there's there's like a split when it comes to artistry where mm. some people were in absolute crisis during the pandemic and it made sense because mm. everything that they used to do or how they used to make money was just cut, mm. right? But there was also this other artist experience of there are some people who started practicing their craft during the pandemic and maybe would have never known of them or they would have never done it yeah, if it didn't happen. Yeah, and it happen. gave them that time and space yeah. to explore new ideas, exactly. new worlds that they might have never ventured into. Yeah. yeah. Or like in your case, it was like you were doing Zoom networking where even if you didn't know them or, or, or whatever, you were learning, like you were consuming mm. all this information and you were getting validation of, you like film, yeah. you like community building, you like making people feel like they're okay. Yeah. There's a space for that, that in yeah. one and you can yeah. do it through your work which is awesome yeah. um, now I want you to tell us these films that you've talked about mm -hmm. when are they going to be out and mm -hmm. if somebody is listening and they're here in Kenya or they're in the UK or they're wherever where will they be able to watch them 
So you can see the trailers on our uh, YouTube page, which is Prism of Black. Um, the actual films, we're still sort of thinking about what the distribution model will look like. Ah, okay. Hopefully we can get them commissioned and they can go somewhere. They yeah. can find a home or licensed rather. Um, they can find a home somewhere. Um, if not, it will probably most likely be on YouTube. Okay. Um, at some point in time. Um, we are going to be doing digital screenings actually as well. We have some exhibitions coming up that we'll be doing digitally. So, Definitely plug into our Instagram, which is Prism of Black underscore, um, to keep up to date with when that's happening. Definitely in early 2024. So, yeah, yeah, that will probably be the best and the nearest opportunity to, to see the to films. see them. Yeah. And if you are doing the movie. Um, screening festival cycle mm. all the best honestly you guys Thank deserve you. awards i've not watched the films i've watched the trailers i watched them <laughs> okay i have Thank said you. and i I'm, I'm hoping for the best for all of you because i think you've done an incredible incredible job thank you so much um last and not least i want you to ask a question to another artist that will be coming on the podcast and what, what would you want to know from them hmm How do you ensure that your art stays fun? I think um, something that I love about Ski Africa is it's about like upskilling and learning how it's a business management platform. Yes. It's about learning how to um, commodify the work that you do. And sometimes when things become very much like um, this is a career path, yeah. it can become very serious. So how do you still ensure that you find fun in your artistic endeavors it's a great question oh fantastic thank you Chantel you're very welcome thank and you Susan thank you to Prism of Black although I'm also thanking you when I say that but I know we've borrowed you from quite a few people and and congrats to you guys I think you're doing really incredible work and I'm I'm looking forward to more and hopefully I can be in the UK soon so I'll look for you yes um if I'm able to make my way to London um when it comes to film and impact if there is a young to be producer out there who's listening to this and is like oh my god i don't know who this lady is but she's me <laughs> when i grow up can i please be like miss Caria? um what would you tell them to to motivate them and prepare them for the journey that's ahead mm. um i'd say that it's about the long game i'd say as a producer really understand the business of film mm -hmm. um connect with directors and writers who um your their work moves you uh connect early and um build relationships build relationships because that's what's going to stand the test of time um those peers that you're maybe in uni with now yeah. are the ones that are going to be um directing you know your amazon prime your viewsasa your showmax yes you know. so building relationships and not just like for the sake of it, really find those people who you connect with. I think for me, that key thing of sitting down with the director that I'm now like working with yeah. and really understanding his vision is what kind of keeps us going. Um, it's not project to project, but it's about um, who we are. And it's not just about the stories that we tell, but the people that we are becoming along the way. Yeah. So you definitely want to find those people who their stories and the people and the people that they're becoming that it feels like it merges with your story and yeah. the person that you are 
becoming. Yeah, 100%. And I think we have already really good examples, although they all tend to be from America. But um, you have the Spike Lees and the Ava DuVernay's mm -hmm. um, who are more in the directing sphere, but they write as well and everything. Yes. And they have stuck to the stories they wanted to tell yes. up until it yes. became mainstream. Yes. Um, but they didn't know yeah. that it was going to end up that way. So yeah. sticking to your truth is great advice. Yeah. Thank you, Chantal. This Thank has been amazing. Guys, I think lovely. I just made a friend yes, on the podcast. You have. You have. <laughs> a huge, huge shout out to Pansigo Productions because they're the ones who are making sure that we look real cute and that you can hear us real clear, <laughs> clearly. Um, and I also, of course, we have to shout out Skika Africa, um, particularly the CEO, Samantha Weir, who mm. has made two new friends through this podcast and making all of this possible. So shout out to the Skika Africa team and check them out <laughs> on skikaafrica.com. And of course, shout out to Sherry, Sherry Kehato, who gave us this beautiful furniture. Check out her store, Savannah Space. You can find it in Lavington, right next to Kingeles. They have beautiful, beautiful stuff. And they can custom make for you, by the way. They hook you up. This has been incredible. I have been your host, Susan Jaroge Awari, and I shall see you all next time. Ciao.